what we're talking about here is supernatural. We're not talking about religion. We're not talking about, you know, just trying to do better. We're talking about the divine life, the supernatural engaging in the depths of our soul and transforming who we are. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about this divine life as we get back into the book of Colossians. We began in Colossians at the first of the year. And then we, we uh, after Easter, we came out of it and we did a series on the Holy Spirit. And this summer, we did that series on the cures for the common soul. Now we're going to get back into the book of Colossians. And the series that we're going to, to address and the way we're going to think about this is this supernatural life that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Everyone has faith. The divine life is a life of faith. What is, what is the object of your faith? Whatever that is, that's going to define you. It's going to press you. It's going to determine the strength of your hope. If you have hope in a created thing, I want you to understand you have a dying hope. If your faith is in a created thing, it, that, that means that your hope is only as strong as the object of your faith. And if it's been created, it's dying. And that means you have a dying hope. What we have been offered in Jesus Christ is a living hope because he is the living Savior. And his life in us transforms us because he calls us to think what is true. Remember, whatever you think will drive what you feel. And whatever you think and feel will ultimately determine what you do. What you place your faith in will drive your thinking and affections, which will ultimately determine the way you live your life. So if you want to know, do I have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ? All you have to do is compare your thoughts, your affections, and your lifestyle to that of Jesus Christ. Those who have faith in Jesus think live and respond emotionally like Jesus. And, and there are many who claim to be Christians who, who say, yes, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ who do not think and feel or live like Jesus. That doesn't mean necessar necessarily that they're not saved. What it does mean is they do not have a strong assurance of their salvation. What that means is, is that their faith is not doing what faith in Christ is meant to do in changing our thoughts, affections, and the way we live. What we're gonna see in our text today is how faith in Jesus drives us to be defined by him, to love as he loves, and to live the way he lived. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now together to Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, and Garrett is gonna come and read for us a lengthy section, verses one through 15. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And Garrett, if you would, hold on, let me get there. Let's read Galatians, Colossians, I saw Colossians, Colossians chapter two, two, verses one through 15. Go ahead, buddy. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches and full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see 
your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Have been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Good job, buddy. If you guys would, go ahead and be seated. So just as a reminder, um, Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul when he was imprisoned in Rome. And this letter was delivered by a man named Epaphras. What we know of Epaphras is that he came to saving faith probably during Paul's three-year ministry at the church at Ephesus. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 19. Apparently what happened is Epaphras heard the gospel and was saved and baptized. And he went back to Colossae and he began to share with, with his neighbors and friends who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done, had done and was doing in his life. And many of them believed and were baptized and they formed a church. Having heard that the apostle Paul was in prison, they raised money and they sent Epaphras on a mission trip to Rome to care for the needs of Paul. And, and while Epaphras was there, he explained to Paul the conditions of the church at Colossae and the challenges they were facing. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostle Paul wrote scripture. This letter is God's word. And this word was written by Paul in order for those of us who believe to be able to understand the heart and mind and will of God. Writing to this church, he was writing to a people who were, who were in danger. Uh, you look in verse four and you can see what his great concern was. He uses the word there, deluded. He was concerned that they would be deluded, that they would be deceived in some way because there were these philosophers who were coming by and they were basically saying, hey, Jesus is good, but what you really need is Jesus plus whatever they were selling. And so they had these plausible arguments. They had these philosophies that would typically entice the flesh and, and make people feel powerful and, and make themselves seem more important than they really were. And Paul, knowing this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes to this church. It's important, again, to be reminded that he wrote not to an individual, although he did that from time to time in writing to Timothy and Titus to pastors. He's writing to the church at Colossae. And that reminds us of a very important fact. All of God's children are meant to be members of a local church. Every one of us has blind spots. 
Every one of us has strengths and weaknesses, and those strengths are meant to be used to help strengthen the body of Christ. Those weaknesses are there so that others can strengthen us, so that, so that there can be a love that says to us, you need to take guard here. You need to be aware of what's happening. And so the scripture has been written so that we can know the truth and this love that has been revealed in Jesus Christ and care for one another in this truth. And so but the very way verses one through 10, just the way they fall out on the page reminds us of the heart that we are to have for God's people. Paul didn't know these folks. He'd never seen them. They, he had heard about them, they'd heard about him, but there was a relationship because they shared faith in Jesus Christ, which makes us family. And so he's concerned about this family and he's writing to them. And what we see in our text is, is how this living faith in Jesus Christ, what it, what it looks like. And, and what Paul, I see him saying here, being an offensively minded person is, the best defense is a good offense. Now, You'll hear other people speak in sports terms and they'll often talk about defense is the most important things. Well, I can tell you offense. It's not just because I play court. It's because offense is where it's at. Because when you're on offense, the enemy is on its heels. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to be light. And you know what? Light is offensive to the darkness. And God has called us, Jesus has saved us to be disciples who make disciples. Another way of saying this is that faithful disciples of Jesus live to spread their faith. And we do that by what we see happening and what we're being called to in our text today. So take note of these very simple but profound and important things. First this, faithful disciples of Jesus live to spread their faith by focusing on the person of Christ. Now we see in verses one through 10, this, this message about the body of Christ, but, but what makes the body of Christ is the person of Christ. And the person of Christ, what I see here are, are three things. Verse two and three, I see what he reveals. Verse six and seven, I see the challenge. And then verse nine and 10, I, I see him telling us something very specific and significant. So verses two and three, this reveals, look at this, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The, 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 the life we live is mysterious. God is mysterious. The world is mysterious. And every single person on this planet is looking for someone or something to make our life meaningful. Without Jesus Christ, we are never going to understand reality. All of us, as I shared with you on several occasions, all of us are constantly asking four basic questions. Who am I? What went wrong? Who can fix it? Is there any reason to have hope? And every one of us in this room has answers to that question. What is your answer to, that, to those four questions? Whatever that answer is, that is the object of your faith. What God has given to us is the Word of God. The Word of God is not a collection of stories. The Bible is not a bunch of sayings. The Bible is a single story. It's made up of four parts. Can you say what those four parts are with me? Creation. Where are we from? We've been made in the image of God. What went wrong? We have all sinned. Is there anyone who can save me? Yes, Jesus Christ has come. Is there any reason to have hope? Yes, this world is not my home and Christ is gonna come back and he's gonna make all things new. Understand, Jesus Christ is the key to understanding reality. 
Jesus Christ helps us to understand creation, the fall, the rescue, and the restoration. Jesus Christ is the key to getting a handle on reality. And so the apostle writes here, the knowledge of God's mystery, this life, what is the answer? It's Christ. The knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That word Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who was promised. And look at what he does. He reveals the treasures. Do you see the two treasures that are revealed there? There's wisdom, the treasure of wisdom, and the treasure of knowledge. The, the treasure of wisdom. Wisdom is, is how we are to love and to live. Knowledge is what is true and what is best. And God has given those to us so that we can work out our salvation, so that we can work out our understanding of life. For the past 30 years, just about every single week, I've been in some kind of workout room. And, and, and part of that is out of desperate need and, and some of it out of interest and enjoyment. But it always makes me smile when I see a brand new person who's never been in a, any kind of workout room come into the workout room with no education, no background whatsoever. I love to watch people get on machines backwards, right? And watch them use stuff that has nothing to do with what they should be using that machine for. And, 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 and sometimes it's just, it's just downright funny. But what makes me happy, what gives me joy is often, especially where I work out, I'll see people come alongside that person and say, whoa, 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 you're gonna kill yourself. Let me show you what you're doing here. And they will begin to teach them and say, okay, this, this is what this machine's for. This is what's supposed to be happening here. See, a good workout is meant to make you stronger. What we have to understand that in our life, Jesus said it in John 16, it was on the screen just a moment ago as we were worshiping. In this life, we're going to have tribulation. But he's, Jesus says, but, but listen, take hope. I've overcome the world. You're gonna have some tough workouts as you go through these, these times when there's going to be what the scripture calls trials in James and thorns in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 12. And, and what you have in these are workouts. But it's not just pain. It's also when we have really good health and excess of resources and there's happiness. That's a workout as well. Because what we will often see in times of pain and tragedy and difficulty, a natural inclination to go to God or to get angry with God. During times of plenty, there is typically an inclination to trust in self. But understand, God uses all those things as a workout to strengthen our faith. Often when we talk about the three circles, you know, we usually talk about it in, in a way that would help a non-believer become a believer. But understand, Christian, those of you who are disciples of Jesus, all of your life, you are going to continue to go through these circles. Just, just because you've repented and believed in Jesus in the gospel and you are now saved, that's not the end, that's the beginning. As you begin to pursue and recover God's design, you know what's gonna happen? Your faith is going to be tested. It's gonna be tested with pain. It's gonna be tested with pleasure. And in all of those instances, the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God are given to us so that we can see sin for what it is still at work in our flesh. Now, make no mistake, those of you who are disciples of Jesus Christ, your sin has been pardoned. The spirit of God lives in you, but you're still living in the flesh. And your flesh is still loyal to the enemy. And your flesh is naturally gonna be inclined towards sin. 
And so what you discover is that the more you recover and pursue God's design, the more you understand and know Jesus Christ and his wisdom, the more aware of your sin and the brokenness that it's causing in your life and in the world, which leads you to repent and believe the gospel. Notice this, not to be saved, but to be sanctified. We just sang, holy, holy, holy. Our God is holy, holy, holy. And what we're told in, in 1 Peter, if you read on there, is that, is that we are commanded to be holy as he is holy. Now, we can't do that in and of ourselves. It, remind, it, it, demands, the demand, it demands the divine life of Christ by faith. And as we live by faith, we will repent and believe the gospel, not for salvation, but to become more and more holy, which allows us to pursue and recover God's design, which will reveal sin and the brokenness, which leads to more uh, repentance and renewal so that we can become more and more like Jesus. You will do this the rest of your life. That is the Christian life. And he's given us this treasure, wisdom and knowledge to do it. Also, he is challenging us. Look at verse six and seven. He challenges us to walk in him, into verse six, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The Christian life is, is not theoretical, it's actual. We're called to be rooted. That is to build down into our life Jesus Christ as our foundation. And then we are to build up. We are to reveal and show Jesus Christ who he is in and through our lives. And all the while, with gratitude. I believe if you want to really measure the temperature of your heart for God, all you need to do is measure your gratitude. Are you genuinely thankful? Do you genuinely see the hand of God in your life, in your pain and in the good? In every exercise, every workout, it's there for the glory of God that we would be rooted and built up so that this gratitude would grow out of us so that our thoughts and our affection would lead to actions that honor him. Verse nine and 10, Jesus, he tells us who we are and who he is. See, God is flesh in Christ. The whole, look at verse nine. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That is one of the most important doctrines of our faith. That Jesus Christ is God. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that is not true. There are other cults that will tell you that's not true. Our faith is established and dependent upon that verse right there being true, and it is. Jesus is God in the flesh. And who are we? We are those that you have been filled with him who is the head and the rule and all authority. It's in focusing on Jesus that, that reality makes sense. So we are to focus on the person of Christ. Second, Faithful disciples of Jesus live to spread their faith by, look at this, identifying with the power of Christ. The power of Christ. In the Old Testament, God's people were recognized as God's people with a physical sign. So too in the New Testament, God's people are recognized as God's people with a physical sign. In the Old Testament, it was circumcision. In the New Testament, it is baptism. And that baptism speaks to the power of what God, listen to me, has done. 
There's a great deal of confusion about baptism. And there is a certain way that you can take a couple of verses and use those only to say that, yes, 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 it is, it is getting wet that makes you a Christian. Friends, that is not true. We are baptized to announce that we are Christians. Our baptism is based upon what our Lord experienced. Go back and read Matthew chapter three sometime. Matthew chapter three describes the baptism of Jesus. And what we need to understand coming into this moment, Jesus Christ was already God. He was already the son of God. But in this moment, John is like, whoa, Jesus, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus' response is fascinating. He says, no, 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 John, this is to fulfill all righteousness. As holy God, he was righteous in every way, and he had to act in righteousness. He had to obey in righteousness, and baptism is an act of obedience. And once he explained that, John said, okay, you're right. Because you are holy, and because this is a holy response to a holy God, it's an act of obedience, I will baptize you. And after he was baptized, the Holy Spirit is present, and the announcement is made, this is my son with him I am well pleased. He was already the son of God. His baptism announced who he was. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are to be baptized. And listen, there is a message in the method. What is the method? It's immersion. So when we baptize, you hear us say the same thing over and over again. What is right here in this text, also found in Romans chapter three. You are buried with Christ in baptism. You bury dead people. What we're saying is your old life is over. That being under that water speaks to the cleansing work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then what happens? You're raised to walk a new life. There is a resurrection power that is at work in the life of those who believe. And by, by walking in obedience, we have the confidence of assurance to know we have obeyed our God. And we have said, I am his and he is mine. My old life is over. I've been washed and I am now walking in his power. You're going to have the opportunity to do that any Sunday you want to here at Living Hope. We have a special Sunday coming up on the weekend of Labor Day. That Sunday, we're actually going to go to the creek. And some people just love to get baptized in moving water, living water, they say. And that's great. And so we want to provide that opportunity. And some just like to be outside and it's cool and see the kayak people go by. It's great. So if you want to be baptized in the creek, come and talk with one of the leaders, anybody with a name badge. But look, if you've not been baptized and you don't care anything about going to the creek, be baptized next Sunday. You need to talk with us because we want to make sure you're actually a disciple of Jesus. But if you are, you need to identify with the power of Christ through baptism. That's how you identify. That's how you tell everyone who you are and they know you are, are a member of God's people. Third, faithful disciples of Jesus live to spread their faith by trusting in the pardon of Christ. Again, there are some very theologically rich concepts here I've got to, to make you mindful of. We sang most of these, but I still want to speak to a couple of them, particularly in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses. Sin causes us to be dead. And I know some of you right now, you are dead in your sin. You're dead in your trespasses. And you're thinking, what are you talking about? I'm breathing. I'm moving. I'm alive. Yes, you're alive physically, but you're dead spiritually. You are separated from God because of your sin. 
But for those who repent and believe the gospel, we are given new life. We are saved. And, and so we are made alive. Look at that. Made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We worship this, this Jesus and we remember his sacrifice on the cross. That's why we wear crosses. That's why we have crosses out on our building because it reminds us of what what God did to rescue us. He paid our debt. Every one of us has sinned and every one of us have a sin debt. And God, because he is holy, can't just say, oh, that's okay, I forgive you, it's not a big deal. He doesn't say that. Here's what God says. Your sin is so serious. I'm gonna come live a holy life and I'm gonna die a horrible death to pay for it. Your sin is so serious that it required the cross of Jesus Christ. Sin is not a small thing. And salvation is a great thing. And I know sometimes, mom and dad, it's sort of hard to explain this to your kids. And I know sometimes when you, when you talk with them about the three circles, because I've tried to talk with some of our children about the three circles, and sometimes, you know, the whole idea of brokenness, it just seems a little ethereal. It seems a little philosophical because, you know, it's like, hey, we went to church, we had lunch, we're going to have a nap. What's broken? We're good. Let's go. But what I have found helpful for children and was helpful for me when I first came to belief is, is a very simple way of explaining the gospel, and it's called the Romans Road. Let me explain this to you, especially you mom and dad who, who are beginning to think, I need to talk to my child about salvation. This is a wonderful way to help understand it in a very concrete way. The Romans Road begins with Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we explain and we can understand. Everyone has sinned. Mom and dad, if there's any easy biblical text to teach your child, is the fact that all have sinned, specifically they have sinned. Mom and dad said, amen to that. All the children go, what are you talking about, man? Stay out of my business. We've all sinned. But what, is, what has happened with that? Look at this, Romans 6.23. Romans 3.23, the next step down the road is Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. That's when Paul was saying you were dead in your trespasses because the cost of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus paid that debt when he died on the cross. The last step is Romans 10.9. Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, look at this, you will be saved. It's belief in the heart and confession with the mouth. And so it's not enough that we believe secretly. No, 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 no. We must confess. We must repent. We must announce that we believe. And as soon as we do that, that's Romans 10, 9, we will be saved. Acknowledge, believe, confess acknowledge that you've sinned. Believe that Jesus Christ died for that sin. Confess him as your Savior and Lord and you will be saved. That is the pardon of Christ. Lastly, faithful disciples of Jesus live to spread their faith by hoping in the promise of Christ. Verse 15, oh, this is glorious. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is our promise. Jesus Christ has won the victory. 
There is now no, no punishment for our sin. He's already taken it. There's now no power of sin that can keep us from obeying him. He's overcome it through the resurrection. We now can share in his victory. Uh, not too long ago, I, I, we were at a ball game, and uh, a child's children's game, and a team won, and I was over by the side of the team that had won, and one of the little boys that was on the winning team was crying, and I didn't understand why. I couldn't, couldn't quite grasp it. So I, I saw his dad going over to him, and so I was standing by us, so I, I kind of did that Southern thing, you know, when you're just listening, just so you could pray for him. <laughs> and, and it was amazing. The dad, such a wise man, he said, son, why, why are you crying? He said, I didn't do anything today. I didn't help us at all. I'm the worst one on this team. I have absolutely nothing to offer. And this wise father looked at him and he said, son, you are a part of this team. Because this team won, you won. You are now given the blessing of the victory. Act like it and be grateful. There are so many Christians who get so upset with themselves because they say, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not bringing anything to this. I, I'm, not, I'm not making, I'm not changing the world. I'm still struggling and, and, and all these other things. Listen, the only thing you and I are gonna bring to our salvation is sin. Jesus Christ has won the victory. Amen? He paid for the sin. He's defeated death. And because of his victory and our reception of it, we're on his team. And so he has defeated our greatest enemies, death and, now, and sin. And now we have the victory in him. And this promise, there's promises all over scripture. This morning I want to finish by giving you some of my favorite promises in scripture. Promises that are based on what Jesus Christ has done in the victory. And they all come from Romans chapter 8. The first is Romans chapter eight, verse one, maybe the best, I don't know. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great news? No condemnation. What's the next one? Uh, Romans eight fifteen. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, the sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. As you're struggling through life, as you are seeking to overcome sin, and, and it is a battle, you get to say, Daddy, help me. You have a daddy whose almighty hands are right there. I love this one, Romans 8, 26. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know one of the greatest prayers you'll ever pray? <sighs> That's the Spirit of God releasing what is happening and true in your soul. And he interprets that to the Father as help we can just cry out to God and he gets us. He loves us. He cares for us. He's got a plan. Let me give you another one. This one's my favorite. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is working his plan for your life. And in any given moment, you may not get what he's doing, but you can always trust his heart. Uh, the next one, uh, Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're conquerors because of his victory, not because we're great, but because he's great. And what we share with the world is not, hey, look how great we are. No, 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 no. It's how great he is. It's what he does. I love it when people come to church, they'll say, people are just me, I say, oh, you're, you're the pastor. You're the, you're the one that, that helps everybody. And I say, nope. 
I'm the one who points everybody to the guy who helps everybody. That's Jesus. That's what he does. And one of the greatest promises, again, ends this chapter. Romans 8, um, 38, 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because nothing can touch him, and because nothing can touch him, nothing can touch us. He has won the victory. And when we are in him, we are victorious in Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you living on these promises? Is it what drives your thinking and your affections, which ultimately determine your actions? Is your life looking more and more like Jesus? Friends, if you have lived up to this moment without Jesus in your life, come get on your knees and ask him to forgive you and to take over and come in and live in you. If you are alive in Christ, but you need help, come ask. You say, I don't even know what to ask for. Just moan. We're going to be singing so loud, we won't even hear it. God knows. God knows your need, and God's plan is perfect. Just ask him to give you the faith to trust him, because the divine life is a life of faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord Jesus, what can we say but thank you? How can we not be so grateful when you have provided such a great salvation? Lord, we can't do this. This life, it's a mystery. You are a mystery. But Jesus, you are the ultimate answer. You are the key to reality. And by faith, We can receive you. We can live in you. It's all about you, Lord Jesus. And so as some come today, some to be saved, as as one little fellow did at the the 8 o'clock service, some come just to cry, as some did at the 930 service. Lord, you know our need. You, You meet us where we are. Hear those now who come to ask for your favor and your help and your salvation and your life. In the spirit of prayer, come.